Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Insider, brought to you, and I thought I'd go a bit different this week, by Vanishing Inc. I know. Um, my guest today was the first magician to win America's Got Talent. He's now headlining at Las Vegas. It's Matt Franco. Matt, how are you this morning? Fantastic. How are you doing? I am delicious, thank you. It's a short <laughs> show. There is no time for pleasantries. What's your magic origin story? You've got 38 seconds. Watching magic on TV, I was about four years old. I'd seen one of the shows where they had a bunch of magicians on. I was hooked from there. Parents got me a few little toy tricks. I got some thimbles, a ball and vase, the little blue one with the red ball, and a mm -hmm. shrinking magic wand. And then I yeah. did those tricks for show and tell in kindergarten. Rest is history. You were doing thimbles age four. I thought I was. And I actually <laughs> did perform thimbles in kindergarten. I don't think I... Did any real trick. I thought they were changing color, but I think I was just stacking them. I don't know. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, you were the first magician to win AGT. Now you're headlining in Vegas. You started doing shows, if my research has proved correct, part a little later than kindergarten, but age 10. Do you think 10-year-old you would have believed where you are now? Not at all. Not not whatsoever. <laughs> I literally grew up... This, this occurred to me the other day. I was in a shop... Uh, I guess it was here in Vegas, and I saw a poster of the Vegas Strip, and I recalled in my memory, I actually grew up with a picture of the Vegas Strip on my wall, because I was so obsessed with Vegas, because I knew Lance Burton performed here, uh -huh. and so on, and all the magic shows I was watching, World's Greatest Magic, they were all filmed in Vegas. So I grew up with that picture on my wall, and I was like, wow, that's really crazy for me to see now. It brings me back to yeah, yeah. you know those days as a teenager, growing up with that there, and now here we are. It's and really, really surreal. Are. That's so strange. Positive mm -hmm. affirmation and you made it become a thing. I read an interview where you said you love making intimate magic, but you do in a big Vegas show. So how do you do intimate magic on, in a, on scale like that? That's probably one of my favorite things is taking magic that feels intimate and making it feel bigger. Um, how do you do that? Well, there are different ways. The intimate part we understand, that's interaction, that's eye contact, that's doing something interactive with audience members. But in terms of making it bigger, it's, it's production value, right? So maybe it's music, maybe it's lighting, maybe it's just the blocking or staging that you're setting up, and maybe it's the props that you're using. Things can pack small and play big, right? So I've kind of just tried to find ways of, of doing that. I think that big doesn't mean necessarily the size of the prop, but right. it can also mean the impact that it sort of has, the way that it feels. Sometimes I'm not really doing things of scale, but the illusion of having scale, right? If everyone's reaching under their seat and finding something, whatever they're finding is going to be fairly small, right? But it sure. still has the illusion of scale, uh, especially if it's something you're doing... Uh, on television where the camera is now seeing all of these people holding up whatever they found or whatever, um, the illusion of scale can be just as strong as scale itself. Interesting thought. Um, you, you mentioned Bill Malone, which leads to the next question, that you, you close, or at least used to close, your show with a story deck trick like Sam the Bellhop. It seems to me to be a brave idea to close your show with a story deck. What led to that happening in the place that it happens in the show? Wow. Um, if you know, if, if our listeners know Rico, Rico de la Vega, he actually suggested it one time to me. 
and uh, just in passing. And then like a, a year later, I thought, you know, I remembered he had said that, and I thought, I think that would actually, although it's uh, risky, if you will, I thought mm. that might really work for this. And I think part of the risky part about it is that, and, and the way that it happens in the show is very special, and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I still do it, and I, I look forward to doing it every night. It's my favorite part of the show, and uh. it's, it's only gotten better, and the way that we do it now is uh, magically, uh, it's rather fooling uh, the way that it all sort of transpires. Um, and it's, re it's changed many times since its inception six years ago. And, it, and it's continued to change even in just in the past few months. But I think part of what I, I love about it is that if someone just wandered into the theater right before <laughs> the end of the show and they watched the finale, it wouldn't really be particularly, it would mean nothing to them. I don't even think it would necessarily look like a magic trick. But to everyone, because there's no context, because sure. the audience is the context. We right. are the story, we are the context. And you had to have been there to understand what's going on. To them, it's all very, very special and causes them to laugh and cheer and cry and leap to their feet. But if you had just wandered in, it would mean <laughs> nothing to you. And that, to me, is actually really kind of cool. It's all yeah, about man. the context. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, what led to it was just an idea in passing when I was hanging out with my friend Rico, and uh, to his credit. And um, what's allowed me to keep it there is the response to it and right. the genuine joy that I have presenting it every single night. It is never the same twice. Sure. I, 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 just, I just love it. And like I said, it's something I can continue to improve upon and uh, I just now I'm excited about doing it tonight because you brought it up. <laughs> so okay, so talk, talk, talk to me. You said you've been continually improving it for the last six mm -hmm. years. Yes. What are you? A. Kind of a bit nervy. Finale of a Las Vegas show when you're trying new stuff. It's like this should be the thing that's nailed, right? But B. What are you changing? Are you changing the script, the timing, the full shuffles? No spoiler alert. <laughs> what what are you what are you tweaking? Uh, I think all of what you just said. I think you said right. shuffles. I think you said timing. Did you yeah. say timing? What did yeah. you say? Uh, scripting. Yeah, timing, scripting. All of those things continue to be tweaked. I literally was probably up at one in the morning last night, and uh, I I started making notes in my phone of things I thought about scripting wise that that could improve it. Um, but there's this collection process of how we get the cards to even use because we're not just using a deck of cards. These are cards that are shot out of a cannon. Speaking of scale. <laughs> Right. A huge cannon with three barrels that rains thousands of cards over the audience that are then collected and now dumped onto a table. So when I say there are changes, they're mostly changes for me and maybe things that magicians would appreciate. Uh -huh. um, I'm not sure that an audience member would come back and see, see a drastic difference necessarily, but overall... Um, people seeing it for the first time might might feel a difference, right? When you watch Leonard Green handle a deck of cards, you you feel something. You just feel everything's a mess and shuffled, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm trying to sort of instill different feelings into it that, again, us magicians appreciate, and I think lay people do as well. But they might have a hard time articulating they why that why. feeling yeah. is there. Yeah. Um, and th that's kind of the weeds that I'm into on it at this point. So is it nailed down? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, but in terms of being in the weeds, I could spend years there. Yeah. How cool. Your degree was in business and marketing. And do, do you think that helped you in terms of marketing your show as you were getting into professional magic? A little bit. I think what helped me more was the college experience overall. I was involved in some extracurricular activities while I was there. I was an orientation leader uh, and, and held other positions on campus as well that I think helped me sort of learn the lingo and the language, which was super helpful because immediately from college, I started uh, entering the college market and performing for mm. college campuses. And it, I think it just helped that there was sort of a shorthand of um, uh, the the higher education lingo that I was sort of very in tune with. The buyers in that market are 18 to 24, which is what my age was, uh, and I had just lived it. So I understood perhaps what they were looking for on their college right. campuses. Yeah, so I yeah. think that overall is what helped me in the transition, uh, more so than the actual marketing courses themselves. Interesting. Um, and you represented yourself during those college years. What was the that side of the business like on a day-to-day -day basis? What were you doing? It, it was 99% of my day. It was sending the contracts, writing the contracts, booking the travel, uh, planning the events I was going to, uh, to, to book shows, uh, planning how I was gonna run my own music and uploading the files, all those things that we all do as, as magicians. We're, we're every position, right? We're the director, mm. we're the talent agent. We're, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was just that. Um, and I enjoyed every second of it only because it allowed me for 1% of my day to do what I love to do, which was perform show, and yeah. present the magic that I was working on. So it was, uh, it was quite grueling but I enjoyed every second of it, and I was really just thankful to um, be able to do what I love. And I think it's allowed me to be even more thankful now that I do have a little bit more help and support. Um, to to be, now that I'm able to really focus, it's it's really flipped, right? Now I can I still like to be hands on with things, but now I can spend probably closer to ninety percent of my day really working on the things I'm passionate about, which is the content of the show, yeah, and that's yeah. uh, that's a, a very very special position to be in that I will never take for granted um, but those are the things we do to get to that place and I bet now you're really polite and appreciative of the people that are doing the things that you no longer have to do well the truth is I'm appreciative of them because they're so good at it much better than I ever could be at it right <laughs> okay. like marketing is a real thing that people have a skill in and specialize in and they understand when they look at this ad, this is where the eye goes. These are the words I'm going to read first. And this is where I'm going to go next. And it's, it's something that should be taken seriously. And if you can afford to have people help with those things that actually uh, their expertise is in those fields, it's going gonna, it's gonna to improve your business. Yeah. Right? What do you think is the most important lesson that you learned from when you were doing the college circuit? That's a good question. There were many, <laughs> there were many, many lessons uh, learned during that time. I think part of it, a lot of it had to do with networking. Uh, right. A lot of it had to do with uh, being easy to work with. A lot, that, that market is so specific that a lot of the things I learned were specific to that market, frankly. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't necessarily apply to other markets. I'm, I'm sure it has things in common with other markets as well, but some of it was like so specific. It, it, it really is a niche. So a lot of the things that come to mind are sort of 
uh, not general answers that I could just yeah, yeah. answer in 38 seconds. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. <laughs> but um, I, I think maybe the it's thing know is, your niche then. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe it is. You know, niching <laughs> down is a is an important thing too, and that that speaks back to the Instagram question as well. Yeah. Uh, part of you you mentioned I share a lot of magic there. Uh, well, that's what I realized. Part of what uh, helps you become successful there. And, and a useful account for people to follow is niching down. And, and so that when people come across your other content, they know what to expect from it. They're not confused. Like, oh, now this person is a singer. Or, oh, now right. they're doing this. Now they're a travel blogger. Like, it's, it's good <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah. able to sort of niche down and keep your content consistent to a point, at least in your mind. Um, it, it's helpful. Yeah. Um, AGT. Yeah. Now, that... A lot of magicians and performers in general say, in, in your successful situation, say they get there by hard work and luck. Um, and with AGT, it seems to me that it was actually quite a lot of luck that you auditioned for season one, nothing, and then nine years later come back and I heard that you were on the bench, that you were an alternate mm -hmm. that got picked. Then there was this business with the audience and Howard Stern stopping off and you getting through it. Do you feel that you're really lucky or that you really worked hard? Oh, oh absolutely both. Absolutely both. Did I, was I working incredibly hard my whole life and up until that point? I was 25 years old auditioning for that show. Had done magic 20 years, right? I started when I was four years old, essentially. Had been obsessed with it since. Had started doing shows very young. Had been working full-time for only about four years. Right. Four or five years, um, up until that moment of that uh, big break, so to speak. Um, so was that incredibly lucky for it to happen at that time? Sure. Um, and, and was there a lot of hard work involved? Sure. It, it really is a, a matter of, of all of those things. I mean, it really is just a perfect storm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unimaginable, really, to, to even look back at, everything that sort of fell into place the way that it did. Um, but now, I mean, I, I, I've grown such an appreciation for everyone who works on that show is so good at what they do. Back to that again. So when I got to the live shows and had people around me that work for their show that were able to help, okay, here's what the lighting is going to look like. Here's our library of music. Do you, do, is there something here you'd like to use? Oh, here's our creative director, and here's what he's thinking scenically. Here's the aesthetic. How do you feel about it? Right. Um, and, and that was something I never had before, and I was like, I never want to let this go. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, so once I got to that point, I tried to sort of nurture it and and – uh, appreciate it and squeeze every second out of it I, as I could. And how, now here we are seven years later and I've performed 16 different pieces on the show. If you took everything I've done on the show, it create, it's like hours, probably, it's like, probably a couple specials worth of material. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for it's sure. a lot at this point. Um, but now I have such a shorthand working with the producers because we've, we've got, we go back quite far and I, uh, I just really appreciate sort of the uh, workflow that we've established with each other. So now it feels like um, a lot less about luck and more about taking that opportunity and being able to uh, really appreciate it and have but it that, be worth some, have it mean something. That workflow that you mentioned with the production team seems familiar to me to the the shorthand that you knew when you were doing the college circuit. 
and it seems like it to make it as easy as possible in a way to work with you so you can speak their language you know the things and they can does that seem fair very much so I, and you know what it harks back to social media too right i want to be of service to people following me and when i produce something for america's got talent when they call me and say hey we'd like you to uh, create something for this can you do that I'm thinking in terms of what they need, right? It's the same yeah. thing when you're, when, um, if you're booking a private show, whatever it is, you, you have to think of the, the mind of your client or if you're performing a public show, you have to think the way your audience thinks. They, they're not magicians, right? So they think differently than us and we have to put ourselves in that mindset. Same yeah. thing with um, a television show. I have to think, wh what is it that they're looking for? How can I be of help to them? Yeah. Right. If you remember, the stars of the show are the ones sitting at the judging panel. They're the host. And, and you're there to provide entertainment or whatever it is you're there to provide. Right. So how can I best do that? How can I help them create good television? That's yeah. what I'm there to help them figure out. And they know how to do that. Mostly my expertise is on the magic side. So how can I use what I've studied and, and love and live for? How can I use that uh, information and knowledge to help them do what they're doing and vice versa? Right. And that for me is such a cool collaboration. I, I just love it. I just love that. And that's why I always look forward to being able to um, <laughs> create for them because it's, it's such a, a nerve wracking, crazy platform with millions of viewers and it's live. It's live to live <laughs> on TV. And at this point, I, you know, I just, I just enjoy the chaos. I enjoy yeah. the chaos of it, of having a million different things going on and then changes at the last minute. I mean, I've just grown to really appreciate it and love it. And it's, it's really cool. Wow. You chose intimacy and interaction for AGT rather than making the effects big. Did the producers try and talk you out of that or were they cool to let you go with what you wanted to do? I now consider myself very much a card guy. I love card magic. I am obsessed with it. It's really hard for me to sit down with a deck of cards and not get stuck there. I mean, it's, it's almost <laughs> impossible. If I sit down to c casually work on a move, hours go by and I don't uh -huh. realize it. It's, it's really crazy. And I've always been that way about magic in general. But my obsession with card magic, I think, recently, as of late, in terms of close-up, because I've always done manipulation, I've always been a stand-up stage guy. Um, it, it came from ha when I did my audition on America's Got Talent and did a, a card story, which I've always loved, that style. Uh, they encouraged me to stay in my lane in future rounds to okay. basically continue... Uh, incorporating cards some way somehow into all of my performances <clears throat> when I was a contestant on the show I haven't continued with that since then and then of course my Vegas show has a variety of different types of magic um, but I feel very much at home with a deck of cards in my hand but the the impetus of that was America's Got Talent because in 2014 I graduate from the show so to speak as the first magician to win and every act had cards in it all of a sudden, the world knows me as a card guy, and I thought, boy, I better catch up on my, my chops. <laughs> so I became obsessed with card magic, <laughs> actually, since then. So it was actually just a suggestion from the producers. Um, but I've always enjoyed being able to take intimate magic and make it feel big. I've always enjoyed my college show at that time was... Uh, 
things that were sort of parlor style magic, but many times I had to make the work for 2,000 people. If right. you're working for an orientation, there might be 1,000 students. If you're working a family weekend or a, a showcase, a national showcase where you're showcasing what your act, you might have 2,000 audience members and you got to be able to take whatever you're doing and make it play big. And, and sure. I was doing parlor style magic. So, um, you know, the, all, the other reason I love the AGT format too is it, it as a live performer is it, it creates the feeling of a live performance because there is a live audience. It's not like street magic or other types of magic we see on television. It very much mimics a live performance environment, which is why I felt so at home there because mm -hmm. I didn't have any TV experience at that time. All right? Now I've created many hours of magic for TV, but at that time I had created zero. So the part that was comfortable for me was that there was a live audience. And you could work that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I heard that your good lady wife came up with the idea of Mel B's phone going in the seat cushion. Is that true? And it's, it's, then you had to come up with the method. Yeah, it's 100% true. I <laughs> that was so I, cool. <laughs> I scoffed at her. This was before I was even on the show, and I was thinking about trying out, and we were hashing out ideas at a diner in Rhode Island. And she said, what if you could, like, cut open a seat? And I said, what are you, crazy? They would never let me do that. What are you... They're not going to let me ruin the upholstery and Radio City Music Hall. And uh, sure enough, at the quarterfinals, I get voted through to the next round. It's like, wow, celebrate, amazing. And then the next morning at 8 a.m., I have to go and pitch my idea for the, following, for the following week. And I'm walking through the empty theater, Radio City Music Hall, and the seats flip up, just like mm -hmm. traditional theater seats, and I see the seat numbers. And I think, oh playing cards, right? I can match playing cards to the seat number. I can cut open a seat, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I thought back to Tiana's idea. And at, at, the, at that point, I was grasping at straws. I didn't have a whole lot of other ideas that I really felt amazing about. So I went in the office backstage. I pitched the idea. And this was probably the only time I've ever pitched an idea at that time for them where they all went, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. And I go, wow. Just hang up, hang up. At yeah. this point, you didn't have the method. No, no, I had no method at all. <laughs> no, I, I, I had the idea as I was walking to the meeting. I had stayed up till like two in the morning trying to come up with ideas. It just Man. wasn't coming through. Nothing was really sticking. And I'm walking to the meeting. I see the seats. I thought, oh, Tiana's thing about cutting open a seat, that feels awesome. I don't know how, what that means, and I'm just going to throw it out there, and they loved it right off the bat, and I had no method, but I felt confident in myself. Now, this was silly of me. This was stupid of me, but I felt confident I could come up with a method. Oh, I've been doing magic 20 years. I'll be able to come up with something. I'm so smart. No, I wasn't smart, <laughs> and, and my method was incredibly silly to think, you know, because it was so risky, it very well could have failed, but I thought, hey, you know what, great television either way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and later in life, I, I met Johnny Thompson, and, and now I have methods for uh, something sort of in the same vein that works really, really amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the time, I didn't have such a resource. I didn't know to reach out. Right. And, and I had the, uh, I was naive enough to think, I can do this. I don't need a consultant. I'm my own consultant, right? And, uh, but hey, you know what? It all worked. 
I, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. I did have enough knowledge to find a method that would work. Um, and in fact, it's even YouTube proof at that. Um, but it was very. Uh, it was very much in my wheelhouse. It involved sleight of hand. It was stuff I was all comfortable with. So you know what? Was I silly and green? Yes. But you know what? At the end of the day, it worked. Yeah, fair play, fair play. <laughs> um, Matt, we are so very, very nearly out of time. I wanted to ask you one question briefly. You touched when I said about um, correcting the the slights that you maybe figured out incorrectly when you were yeah. looking at the VHS videos. You mentioned yeah. books. What are some books that you think everybody listening should have on their shelves? So the one I'm reading right now is How Magicians Think. How cool is that? Ah, it's true. Brought to you by Joshua J. No, no, it's, How... it's absolutely true. I picked it up probably yesterday or the day before, and I'm already more than halfway through. It's, it's such a great book. I love books on theory. So I love Jamie and Swiss's books. Um, I think Shattering Illusions and uh, Preserving Mystery, and there's one more, Devious Standards. Those are all, I, I love reads like that. I love Magic Rainbow. I love, uh, you know, people think it's dry. I love Ed Marlowe's books, talking about correcting moves. If you want to know how to do them right, I love those. I, I could keep going here. All right, C40's books. I'm like, uh -huh. you know, diving back into now. And it's, uh, it's like I've got bitten by that gambling sleight of hand bug again. Um, I don't have my shelf in front of me. Let me see what else just comes to mind. I think I said Juan Tamer is already. Yeah, you said uh, Magic Rainbow, yeah. Tommy Wonder. Uh, Card College is always a great reference. I use those sort of like encyclopedias. I refer back to them all the time when it's like, oh, let me see five different ways to, <laughs> you know, do this move, do this turnover change or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let's see if anything else comes to mind that's sort of a favorite. Oh, I'm like kind of a, a move monkey, so I also really love, and I think it was just recently republished, so I paid more for it than people would have to, but... Um, Ernest Erich. Ah, Forces um, Unseen. By Forces, Forces Unseen. That's, a, that's a, a really fun one for those who enjoy the hard stuff that's just uh, fun to work on if you're into to card magic. Um, those are a few. I'm sure I'm missing it's a ton list, that, are, that are still, you know, huge favorites of mine. Scripting, of ma scripting magic, I've actually, uh, I got to later in life. I would have liked to have re read that sooner. But I um, started working through it more recently, maybe uh, you know a year ago or whatever, and it's like, wow, this is really, really good. <laughs> yeah, Pete's amazing. It's but there's amazing. It's, it's overwhelming how much uh, literature there is out there in magic. So I find it overwhelming and and but but very much enjoyable to dive deep into it. And uh, yeah, those are those are some favorites that come to mind. But there are so many more. Ascanio, structural conception of magic. That's another favorite uh all of these it's like you can refer back to them a year two years three years later and now you interpret a lot of it differently because you have yeah. a different perspective and it's yeah. just it's uh it's yeah this is going more than 38 seconds so i apologize but no, no, uh, not every answer needs to be 38 seconds <laughs> solely your magic origin story you're good don't worry but anyway so those all... are some of my favorites <laughs> they're a good list they're a good list matt we finish the show with four quick fire questions. Are you ready? So this is like three seconds. Yeah, if that. <laughs> I'm ready. Favorite pizza topping? Uh, jalapenos. Favorite movie? Mrs. Doubtfire. Favorite person or people that make music? Uh, let's see. Jason Mraz. Uh, 
John Mayer, Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. And finally, who would you rather fight? One massive Andy Gladwin or a hundred tiny Joshua Jays? <laughs> I think a hundred tiny Joshua Jays would be pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we get that a lot. <laughs> Josh is a, is a popular pick to, to destroy. In, well, when I first saw fight. him, he was tiny because he was on the Lance Burton's Magician Showcase when we were kids. Um, yeah. So he was not tiny. So, so, not, so, not so tiny now. Now I just got a picture, <laughs> picture, you know, that times 100, and that's kind of fun to think about. <laughs> I'll set you up for it. And just, just before we go, Matt, is there anything that you're up to apart from headlining Las Vegas that you'd like to plug? Well, yeah, other than my shows at the Link Hotel and Experience at the Matt Franco Theater, wink, wink, uh, I've actually started a podcast over the pandemic <laughs> called Mind Over Magic. And uh, I think performers and magicians really get a lot of, out of it. We're really getting in our stride now. Uh, my co-host is Eric Dittleman, who uh, people also know from America's Got Talent, uh, just a wonderful mentalist, hence the name, Mind Over Magic. And we've really been delving into what it's like to be full-time performers on the road in Vegas. And uh, he's in New York, I'm in Vegas. And we just kind of catch up e each week and talk about different things inside of performing and what the what what life is like in this crazy world of magic so i think if people are listening to this they might also enjoy that matt franco thank you so much for giving us your time this morning i really really appreciate it it's my absolute pleasure to be here with you thank you so much for for taking the time to have me on <laughs>